Shout out my nigga, he big on conspiracy R.I.P. Kelly, we feeling your spirit I had to put this shit up on the internet Cause I know they want to take it so serious I told a hater he don't want to listen He better go take up his ears Michelle Obama is a boy We don't Jamaica no tears Jiggas, I'm joking, don't mean I don't never be serious Alistair 99 at my nigga for real Yeah, I fuck with my peers Had to make me a channel to talk about the real Cause I know they gon' hear Alistair 99 at my nigga for real Nah, I know they gon' hear Gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to the Conspiracy Castle. I am your conspiracy asshole, Primetime 99, Alex Stein. And we got such a special guest. I'm going to bring him right on. Jorge Ventura, you've seen him on You Are Here, I mean, the news and why, with uh, Sarah Gonzalez and I. We were together, and that's how we originally met. But listen, Jorge is an investigative journalist that's a badass. It goes on the front lines. He's not one of these, like, oh, computer keyboard warriors. He's a field reporter for the Daily Caller. So he's in the freaking field. And so Jorge... It's an honor to have you on the show, and, and like I just want to say, guys, a lot of people are afraid to go out there and, and talk to the people that he talks to, and especially the people you're talking to lately are the cartels, so we got to get into it. Welcome to the castle. How are you doing, Jorge? Good, good, Alex. It's good to be with you. I'm here in uh, sunny California, so enjoying the nice weather with the $7 uh, gas. Well, I know, <laughs> so and dude, I saw, I saw somewhere where somebody posted, I think it was in Hollywood, it was $8. It was like seven yep. ninety nine. Um, for obviously for the premium gas, but I mean, dude, okay. So I'm not, I don't want to talk about me. You're my guest, but that viral video, you know, that's going around, like that's the biggest comment I got for the people that they're like, Oh, the gas prices, the gas prices. So what is that Jorge? In your opinion, like we have enough oil and gas in America. Why are the gas prices so high? Would you guess? Uh, you know, I don't, I, I'm not an expert on the whole gas thing, but I, uh, according to like the readings that I've been doing, the, the Keystone pipeline didn't help. Um, obviously our failures with, uh, when it comes to negotiating with other countries has been horrible. And, uh, I mean, right now it just seems like the middle class is being squeezed out, um, and just being stomped on. I mean, I'm, I'm in California, so I live in a state where you kind of have the highest inequality of wealth between the very rich and the, and the middle class. Um, right now for folks who don't know, like the average cost of home in California is $800,000. So we are basically, I would say the less, um, the least kind of middle class friendly state. Um, we are having Californians leave by, by the hundreds of thousands. I mean, so many Californians are leaving. Uh, we actually lost a house seat last year. I don't know if folks yeah, even know that, yeah. but we, we went from 53 house seats to 52. Uh, the state of Texas actually gained that house seat that California lost. Um, so it's, it's, it's horrible, man. I, I really don't see how families are making it through. I'm lucky that I'm just a single guy, but uh, I don't know how families are doing it. Dude, me too, Jorge. See, you and I are about the same. We're single guys. So we don't have a huge overhead, but even me, I'm I mean, I, I mean, I'm not saying I'm struggling, but dude, it is not easy. And you yeah. said a good point, the middle class. 
I believe that they're trying to take away the middle class because they either want you to be rich or they want you to be, you know, dependent on the government for some sort of social service. So, and, and do you see that in California that like the social services aren't even that good for the people that are struggling? So, I mean, how, in your opinion, I know it's not it's a very nuanced question, but like, how does the middle class come back? Like, is it is it too far gone in your opinion? Yeah, you know, I looked at a couple of things and I think what, what really started the destruction of the middle class in America was after 2008, we had obviously the financial crash that did not help. My, my dad, I mean, my family was actually directly impacted because my dad was a trucker. So I remember how hard that was with our family. Um, but then if you remember, Alex, around that time, too, you had the Republicans and the Democrats sell out all these great kind of middle class, the manufacturing jobs like in Michigan, uh, Pennsylvania and Ohio, they kind of ship all those jobs to China. So what, what that happened in America was you had these strong families where the dad was making all the money. The mom could stay home with the kids. The kids go to college and all that good stuff. But when NAFTA happened, when the 2008 financial crash happened, a lot of those families broke up. Obviously the d divorce skyrocketed after that because all the men lost their jobs. And that's when you kind of started seeing the opioid crisis move in. Um, then obviously if you fast forward to 2020, we had the pandemic. It was a largest transfer of wealth in human history. Mm -hmm. uh, the, more, the richer billionaires, got richer. more billionaires in yeah. one year than ever. Sorry. Sorry to cut you off. But yeah, that's yeah, no, you know, the, the richest got richer and the, and the poor got poor. Um, so it's, it's, it's hard, man. Um, one thing I, I was actually talking to a friend about Alex was like for, you know, I'm 26 years old, but you know, just four or five years ago, I was 22. Normally in our country at 22, you're graduating from university, right? So let's say Alex, let's say you and me are at a university. Let's say we, we, we're both graduating, but let's, and, and let's also say we, we meet some fine women that we want to marry. Mm -hmm. So let's say I graduate from university and I, I say, I'm, I meet Susan. So me and Susan are both 22. I said, Hey, Susan, I love you. I want to marry you, but. You're in, a, you're in debt 200 grand and I'm in debt 200 grand. So the whole buying a home and starting a family. Yeah. Let's kind of push that plan for another 10 years. So I think that's also not helping. And I think young people um, are not going to be owning homes like the way our parents are. I don't know about you, Alex. I'm 26. And in my, in, in my current state in California, I'm nowhere near owning a home. My dad was 25 years old, uh, an immigrant from El Salvador, uh, with a sixth grade education and all he, all he had was a trucking job with his trucking job. We had a middle-class home in Downey, California. My mom could stay home with me and I could like, I could literally just focus on school and having my mom stay home. And we had a great middle-class life. That life is gone, especially for Californians. Man, and that is so sad. And you made you mentioned 2008, so I'm about um, eight years older than you. Wow, it makes me feel old. I don't like that, Jorge. You're very successful at 26 years old. You need a pat on your back. But listen, in 2008 was a nightmare, guys. I mean, it was like people were committing suicide, even wealthy people because the stocks were going bad. They had a lot of real estate portfolio. I mean, it was an actual nightmare. And in my mind, you know, it happened to be, of course, when Obama got into office, but I'm not just blaming Obama. I'm saying... I think there's going to be another financial crash like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and and I, I think it's almost inevitable. And how what they said in 2008 was they had a bunch of poorly rated mortgage loans. Like they would, you know, how these banks would uh, loan money is they would have, they would rate the mortgages. You know, they'd put a bunch of houses together. And supposedly they rated these loans bad and then we ended up bailing them out. But if this happens, if we have another crash like that, do you think America can bail us out? Because they just bailed us out in the pandemic. So I guess my question is, do you think the pandemic was a crash or do you think there, do you think there'll be some sort of other financial crash? No, the, the pandemic was for sure a crash. I still think another one is coming. Um, I would actually make the uh, argument, Alex, that we the American people didn't even get bailed out. I mean, the corporations yeah. got bailed out. All the big guys got bailed out while 
um, America just got a, like a $1,200 check. And then Congress fought for another six months just to get the American people an extra 600. I mean, look how long it takes them to even get us 1200 bucks, but Ukraine could get like 800 million. And I mean, like 1.7 trillion total <laughs> yeah. and they're getting like $16 billion in, in five minutes. I mean, they literally, I think they wrote the bill and they got passed the next day. So obviously I think the problem. Bro, these people literally hate us. They like, hate they us. They us in our face that they hate us. And, but, but this is why, because it's it, this is how I talk about it all the time. This is a conspiracy castle. We're not being run by humans. We're being run by multinational corporations. Like these yeah. are businesses that are influencing all this stuff. So it's like, well, of course they want to put all this money because that's going to go to the military industrial complex. All that money is going to go to, it's going to go back into the people that are pushing the politicians to pass this legislation. But people can't see that. People don't realize that we are being subdued. Like the humans, us, you and me, are not like this is what i'm trying to say the politicians when they get in power all of a sudden they think that we work for them which is not right. the case they work for us so it's really kind of a sick system so jorge you know being a el salvadorian a son of an immigrant i now i, I guess you're on the daily caller which is a considered uh, conservative but are you even really that conservative or is just the left gone so crazy that's the only way that you could you know survive is is uh kind of aligning with people that have common sense yeah i would i would say that you know i think Look, I'm just like the regular, you know, if, if I if I explain my views to someone, I would be classified as like a liberal, but like a liberal back in the 90s, like absolute free speech against all the corporations and mandates. I was actually making the argument to people, Alex, like if you were anti-mandate, you were you're you're taking you're technically taking the liberal position yeah. because liberals would be against corporations and big pharma. But um, yeah, man, you know, basically they, they've just gone so far out that this is where I align, especially um Coming from a Salvadoran family, I think people forget, like, a lot of these immigrant families are actually more conservative than the white American conservative. So <laughs> what I mean by that, Alex, is um, when it comes to, for, for example, gay marriage, the the needle has already has already been moved on that. Meaning, like, a lot of, um, you know, white conservatives in America, they're like, hey, you know what? Gay marriage, I, we're not going to argue that one. We're just going to let it, let it slide, let it be. I'm telling you right now, there's a lot of Latino families, immigrant. They might say that in the public. Behind closed doors, they are still not even for gay marriage. So think about this, Alex. So you have a population that doesn't even accept gay marriage, but now you have white liberals pushing the transgender. Uh, I, yeah, you know that really, the Latinos really don't like that. And like, so it's like, Jorge, but this thing, if we talk about the transgender, it's such a hot button issue. But really and truly, if you're an adult, I don't care if you wear a dress, but you shouldn't be able to get to compete against women if that's not your biological sex. And you shouldn't give kids puberty blockers. And I think we can look at a good example of Bill Maher. It's like he's yep. been getting crushed because he said a three-year-old shouldn't pick his own sex. So that's where we're at. We're at this left where you said they would be anti-mandate. Now the left loves war. Now yep. the left will call you a bigot and a racist if you don't believe that a nine-year-old can have gender reassignment surgery. And if you don't think a man can change his sex and compete against a woman, you're a bigot. I mean, that they've gone too far. And they also support uh, censorship in the behest of the regime. I mean, the left used to stand up for free speech. The other, then I mean, now that we're talking about this issue too, the the story that reminds me, if you haven't read it, Alex, I'll send it to you. This happened just recently, literally like within the last month. There was a 12 year old girl from the state of Florida. Her mom, uh, well, her her parents came from El Salvador, immigrants. So I could really relate to the story. The 12-year-old the committed suicide because she would go to public school and school started pushing the, this whole transgender sex change. Hey, if you don't really feel like a girl, it's okay to switch. So the girl going to public school gets confused. Obviously, her home is more a traditional home. 
Um, she ended up actually committing suicide, and that 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 mother actually was uh, gave a couple speeches about it. She's a Salvadoran mother, I believe. Heritage Foundation also invited her to an event where she spoke about it. But this is the type of stuff you don't really hear. Is um, you know, these white liberals pushing this like sexual education on these children, and a lot of immigrant parents. They don't fuck with this stuff, um, especially like in the state of Virginia. That's why you saw Glenn Youngkin pick up a victory because all those parents just got got upset. And for folks who don't know, uh, one of the states that has the largest population of of Salvadorians is is the state of Virginia. So a lot of Salvadorans played a role in getting Youngkin um, that victory. And to remind folks, Virginia is a state that Biden won by ten points. So it's not like a Trump Republican state to begin with. Yeah, I know, and and I think you nailed it. Like they they were getting so mad at that. Remember all the. Latinos for Trump, like all the they were trying to say, you know, they're they're like, what is it, uh, Hispanic white supremacist, like black white supremacist. <laughs> I mean, they say that, dude. They call Larry Elder a black white supremacist. I mean, they, and really, these people just have little core values that they don't want shaken, like you know, and 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 they want to take away that those core values, like they want to destabilize the home. They want to just basically make it where you're like um, owned by the state. You go to public school and you get indoctrinated, and then they tell you how to think. So, so let's get into censorship a little bit, though. Man, I'm on YouTube. I get strikes all the time. I actually appealed a strike on a video on one of my backup channels, and they just they, the first time, um, one of the first times ever, they they actually re, retook away the strike. They uh, the, my appeal went through, but this is what I'm talking about. In 1984, you know George Orwell. You know you have no you have no privacy. You basically can't say anything. Do you think it's going to get to that point, or are we already at that point where you basically can't say anything in your opinion, Jorge? No, we're, we're, we're definitely already at that point. Um, and let me also remind folks, like the censorship thing is not even just also with people on the right. A lot of folks on the left, if they step away from the establishment kind of talking points, they're getting hit with, with, with the censorship too. A big turning point with the news censorship happened, Alex, actually on January 6th. And this is what I mean by that. I follow a lot of, uh, like progressive, kind of independent media guys. I like to listen to all types of, of, of talking points from, from political uh, aspects, but there was a couple channels where these guys, all they did was stream the, the, the January 6th, riot, Whatever you want to call it. Like all they did is stream literally no, right. No commentary, just video live. What they did is they sold that footage to ABC, CNN and Fox news and all the big guys. Right. But when they post that same footage on their own independent news channel, YouTube, uh, YouTube actually ended up deleting all those channels and taking them down. So all those news channels come out and said, wait a minute. So we're getting deleted, but you're still promoting CNN, who actually was still using our footage. So the we, 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 what we're trying to say is here is the censorship obviously started a couple years ago. But now we also see it where independent news, anyone who's not in the mainstream is going to get deleted. The algorithm is going to hit, get hit. The biggest thing with me, Alex, personally, for, for what I do is I just get a huge shadow ban. And so yeah. I'll go from like my average into story views anywhere between 15K to 20K, right? I'm, I'm fluctuating. When I get hit with a, with a shadow ban, I can't even hit like a thousand views. So it's like Instagram doesn't even try to like make it like not obvious. They just, they make it obvious and be like, hey, we're, we're just doing it in your face. But I think we're already there. Um, I mean, even, even, I mean, even in this conversation, Alex, you, you and me, can't, we know that we can't say certain things. So we have to kind of dance around topics. So I think we're, we're already there and it's going to keep going that way. And I've been surprised maybe uh, is that this, this younger generation of Americans, 
they completely. <laughs> well, no, I want to say this. No, talk about the censorship. So I had that video get six million views, and then all of a sudden they flagged one of my old videos on Twitter saying it's sensitive content. Nope. So you're right. As soon Already as you there. Get, Already I, there. As soon as you get any sort of like traction, I've, this video has been on for a month, and then I get a viral video, and all of a sudden I'm starting to get sensitive content warning. So it's not on accident. And the problem is we're going against some sort of like algorithmic artificial intelligence yep. that's transcribing these videos. So it's not a human saying this. It's basically like a robot. So that's why I use that 1984 um, reference because it really are. We're like fighting robots to be able to talk about stuff. We can't really talk about January 6th. We can't talk about the election. We can't. There's so much stuff that on, on this platform you're not allowed to say. And sadly, I think it's only going to get worse. I don't think the censorship is going to get any better. And I use this example. I've been talking about this a lot. Is John Stewart, you know, who's a you know, crazy leftist or whatever. But he was as smart in the early days of the Daily Daily Show. He talked about how the Iran war, the Iraq war, and the war in the Middle East was BS, and how they didn't have weapons of mass destruction. And if he tried to do that today, he would be considered misinformation, disinfo, whatever you know, whatever label and term they they want to use. So it's like, man, just that example right there. Even the guys on the left are calling it out, like, man, you know, this is this is kind of bad. Exactly. It's only going to get worse. So I'm yeah, I'm I, I, I was. I, I was having an argument like two years ago, Alex, with my cousin. She's a liberal and we were talking and she was celebrating. She was like really giddy. She's like, hey, I'm so happy that, you know, Twitter took off Donald Trump. Right. So she's happy. She's like smiling. And I look at her and said, hey, um, do you support Martin Luther King? And she goes, yeah, like, of, of course, like who does it? Right. Well, I say, hey, um, if Twitter was around when Martin Luther King was around, you know, he would be censored for what he was saying. Right. Like he would be labeled as an extremist. And she was like, uh, uh, I'm like, well, I'm like, there you go. You can't have it. You can't have it both ways. You know what I'm saying? So so that, I always like to hit the leftists with that. I'm like, hey, are you supporter of like Martin Luther King? And of course, they're going to say, yeah. And be like, well. He would have got censored from Twitter. <laughs> See, you can't have it both ways. You can't just pick and choose who gets censored. And and you said you said it right. Like now the people on the left are going crazy. Like they shared that video of DeSantis telling that kid to take off his mask. And I know people that are on the left are like, you know, complaining about it, but they still got strikes because like, you know, mm-hmm. it, you know, goes against the terms of service or the community guidelines. It's like you know, I don't want to sit here and bitch and moan all day long, but I guess for me, what I've started to get the most effective is we gotta use humor or we gotta, you know, somehow kind of be sarcastic. Because that's the only way we can kind of defeat these robots. But I mean, man, I look at the technocracy and it's just it's like overwhelming. They can shadow ban you. You can have a million followers. You post something and it goes to 10,000 people. So it doesn't matter what you look like on paper. They can control uh, the narrative 100 percent. Absolutely. That's why for I don't know if I got to do it just messing around. I like sometimes on my Insta story, I got to post the let's get vaccinated stickers just to get my just to get yeah. out of the shadow. Yeah, I do. Whatever it takes. And, you know, you're posting that sarcastically, even though we do recommend everybody get your fifth booster or yeah. whatever, whatever is on your schedule. Hurry up and get it because, you know, and, and, and OK, we don't, we don't want to get too crazy. But then notice how uh, we go from the pandemic and then right into World War Three. And, and, and so I want to get your opinion on World War Three. But before that, where's Dr. Fauci or hey? <laughs> well, now he's been uh, he's been reduced to just like a regular bureaucrat employee. Well, actually, I've been seeing Dr. Fauci actually now getting his local TV news hit. So he's doing local media no, now. He's, he's not. not. Is that what? Yeah, that? He, Dude, he went on every podcast. I played a clip the other day. He like went on like the Gay Guy podcast, which is fine. I'm just saying, you know, it's like they're like, oh, Dr. Fauci, we love you, and it's just they're they're kind of mocking us. It's just like they don't really. He's care. so bummed, man. He was like, he's like the he's like those music artists back in the day, like the one hit wonder. So, you know, his little 15 minutes of fame just ended. Um, so, yeah, Dr. Fauci is very upset. There's probably no one more anti-war than Fauci right now. Actually. He hates Zelensky. I know. We went yeah. from Fauci to Zelensky really fast. 
Okay, so so now so let's get into World War Three. In my opinion, I think it's almost inevitable that we're going to have some sort of have to get in there and do some sort of conflict. And I don't want to sound like I'm some pro-Putin guy. I'm not. You know, Putin kills journalists and this and that. But at the same time, you you spend time at the border. You know that we have a crisis on our border. Why are they worried about the border between Russia and Ukraine and not the one between Texas and Mexico? Um, why why do you think that is, in your opinion? Well, you know, the thing is, is you know, the D.C. system, the Warhawks, the military industrial complex, this is this is now their time to cash in. You know, so right you know, when we had the the, the pandemic, it was all about big pharma getting their check and all the Warhawks in DC were like, wait a minute, you know, what about us? So <laughs> now they're getting their check. It's, it's, it's their turn. When this whole Ukraine Russia thing started, I'm, I'm, you know, not gonna lie. I was just tuned out of it. Cause I'm like, you know, I'm not falling for it. We got so many problems here in America. I started doing more research and what I, you know, what I started to learn was, uh, you know, the United States is really the bad guy in this because it, this would be basically like if Russia made some type of military agreement with Mexico, like right on our, our, our neighbors. You know, uh, United States would be at war with, with Mexico right now. Um, but what I will say this about Alex is, is the way that the media is is, is uh, kind of turning the story into kind of a very pro-Ukraine. And if you even question it, you're pro-Putin, the way these pundits, I mean, everything, right? Pro-Ukraine. I think I even went on my, my Uber Eats and my Uber app and they already have it where like 5% of my purchases is going to go to Ukraine or whatever. <laughs> but what I'm seeing, and maybe I'm wrong here, Alex, and I'm, I'm hope I'm wrong, but the way that, that, that the media and everything, they're, they're following this narrative, they're actually, I think, doing the, the brainwashing right now, which is step one of getting Americans um, on the side of Ukraine so then when we do go to war, Biden has the support. I think Biden knows, and every president, I think, not every president, but but in the, in the couple of years after, after Iraq, they know that, hey, if you go to war now, and, and it's not justified like 100%, like that approval rate is going to drop. But I think I think right now we're seeing the kind of brainwashing of getting the Americans on the side of Zelensky. That's why you hear all these great like stories about him. And he says, you know, he responds to the United States. I don't need a ride. I need ammo. Yeah. And, you know, he's kind of being and a bad ass. Of Kiev and all this. Stuff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's all propaganda. OK, but let me so tell you. I think, oh, go, go, go ahead. No, sorry. sorry. I want to finish your thought. No, no, no. no but I, I just think that the way it's all shaping up, it's like they're getting us ready for the moment where we do enter. Well, let me tell you something. This is the only thing I can tease you because I'm an ageist, but 9-11 for you, obviously, you know, was a little different because you're a little young kid. But for me, it was, I'm telling you, I mean, I was, I was uh, 13 when it happened, but this is the thing. When 9-11 happened, it, it was, uh, you know, a basic, I mean, I don't want to get into, you know, I think it was an inside job, but we don't need to get into that. What I'm talking about, I think it was basically to destabilize the Middle East. But what I'm saying is it got everybody on board to go kill a million Muslims, no matter what. People didn't care whether you thought it was a controversy or not. You saw buildings go down. It made it OK for George Bush to start a never ending war, pump up Halliburton, pump up the military industrial complex because it played on our emotions while watching those towers. I mean, it was so sad and seeing all the devastation. And it actually, as a country, brought us together. So that's what's kind of happening now is the pandemic. Pandemic split us apart, and now they're trying to use propaganda similar to 9-11 to kind of bring us together to get on Ukraine's side to justify our conflict intervention or for us to get into this conflict. And it's like, I, I guess, oh, I'm only teasing you because you probably don't remember as much of 9-11, but dude, it seems so eerily similar to me. It's almost identical, uh, uh, really, like the, the support that we have for a place that's thousands of miles away that nobody in America has really, I mean, very few people even have been to the Ukraine or Russia from America. So it's just, it's, it's a propaganda war, I think. Yeah. And the thing, the funny thing is seeing all these kind of fake with, and it's been, it's happened on the right. It's not even just liberals it's kind of having that fake, like, 
you know, they have the little Ukraine flag next to their bio. And, you know, it, it, the funny thing is, it's like, you know, these people try to act like they, they're all, you know, they, they care. It's all the virtual thing. It's like, wait a minute. So you guys all of a sudden care about Ukraine, but did you know the United States is literally giving arms to Saudi Arabia and we are literally helping one of the worst kind of humanitarian crises in America, what's happening in, 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 in Yemen. <laughs> like you guys don't care about the black and brown kids in Yemen. I know. And dude, and, and, and uh, listen, uh, before I even get into Muammar Gaddafi, but we know in Afghanistan, they have a thing called the Baki boys. So like, like the wealthier Afghanistan men would have like little boys, slaves yeah. or servants that they would have sex with. And the U S military knew about it, but they overlooked it because that wasn't part of their agenda in the war. I don't know what is would be more important than saving children from sexual abuse. I mean, that would be number one thing we should stop, much less overlook it for some sort of like imperialistic nature. Um, that, that just shows you these war hawks, these people like they'll, they'll tell you that they're fighting good or they have the moral superiority, but that's not true. That's not the case. So are you an anti, I consider myself anti-war. Where do you stand on war? Oh, $10 super chat. Thank you so much. Where do you stand on a war in your opinion, Jorge? Uh, for me, um, very, very anti-war, especially, you know, when 9-11 happened, um, I was only like six years old. Right. Yeah. But then when I got older, around 13, 14 years old, when I started doing research and then I found out that like us going to Iraq was BS, my whole like that moment was like my biggest kind of I, I would for me personally was the great awakening, because right yeah. there I realized I'm like, wait a minute, if you guys lied about this. Now I got to look back at everything else. So so ever since that moment and it happened at 13. I always knew it was BS. I think, I don't know if it was George Carlin or a couple of these other guys in my early years that always say, Hey, the Democrats and Republicans can't agree on a single thing, right? Like they can't even agree that the sky is blue. Yeah. But when it comes to spreading a little democracy in a foreign country, all of a sudden they always agree and they're in lockstep. And we're, and we're seeing that right now. We're seeing the progressives like a Ro Khanna, which I'm, I'm shocked. He he's pro war. You're seeing the Lindsey Graham pro, pro war Mitt Romney. So you're seeing that kind of the establishment, you know, be be all for it. So anytime you see that, uh, you know, huge, uh, huge uh, red flag for sure. And it's funny. We talk about flag. You're talking about how the Ukrainian flag is everywhere after 9-11. I mean, obviously you're alive, but dude, everywhere there is an American flag. Like yeah. the flag, it's just that symbology of the flag. It's just it's so important to these people. I guess it, it just makes us like I don't even know. I don't know why the flag is so important, I guess, because we don't we can't. In my mind, we're just countries are just imaginary lines in the sand, basically. So I guess the flag is like the representation of this country. And so it's like, oh, we're going to defend the blue and gold now. But I'm telling you, that red, white and blue flag was every single place after 9-11. So it's kind of just weird how these flags when it comes to war, that's like the, and that's been from the beginning of time. You know, the British are all wars, you know, flags are very important. So it's just it's just weird how that symbolizes and that gets us in this like Warhawk mindset where these people, like you just said, don't agree on anything. But in, in 24 hours, they can pass a bill giving one point seven trillion dollars to basically go fight a war to support a war I, I mean why aren't people waking up that with these two people hate each other but when it comes to this they become best friends well hey, it's it's they've done a good job with the with the propaganda and kind of like i said all the fake war stories um and then the thing is, it's everywhere it's not just like the news it's, it's hollywood it's it's big tech like i said you go on uber right now they already got the ukraine flag i was in dallas not too long ago alex we, we were hanging out but i remember i was driving around dallas I thought we were Ukraine. They had Ukraine wait, wait. Hey, dude, this big dealership, Clay Cooley, is like one of the biggest car dealers. Dude, he has these huge Ukrainian flags. I'm going to go troll him this week, and I'm going to go and be like, do you have any cars that will kill Vladimir Putin? You got anything I can run over Vladimir Putin? I'm going to go with my buddy and go kind of troll them. But, no, you're right. I mean, it, the propaganda is is insane, and now, like, everybody's just falling for it, and that's kind of what worries me is as human beings, when we get in groups, we get dumber. I don't think we get smarter because we're basically, you know, I don't want to call every human being a sheep, but 
we really don't want to think for us. People just want to follow the leader. Yeah. And these leaders are not, you know, moral superior people. These leaders are pretty evil, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and you know, Noam Chomsky called this out, I mean, in the 90s. He, he calls it manufactured consent. And that's mm-hmm. what we're seeing is the manufactured consent. And and the thing is, anytime there's a narrative from the, the, the corporate press, they do such a good job of convincing the Americans that if anyone who steps outside of that is is the enemy. I mean, I first learned that when it came to the Black Lives Matter stuff. You know, I, I just kind of like I was a, a kid in community college, you know, journalist student. I just started my internship at Daily College. So I started just covering the riots. And, you know, I was I was already the enemy to a lot of my own close friends that I went to high school with because I was I was now outside of the narrative. So whether it's BLM, whether it's the pandemic, anytime you're outside of the narrative, you are now labeled as almost. I mean, right now you, we're being labeled anti-American. If you just call out what's happening with with, with uh, you know, Ukraine and Russia. I mean, this guy Zelensky was on a phone call begging U.S. Congress to basically us getting getting involved. And no one's talking about the consequences of that. Like people think that like, oh, you know, United States getting involved. It's a fun thing. It's not fun. We're, we're sending 18 year olds, 19, 20 year old kids from Arkansas, Missouri, working class, black, majority black and brown that are going to go fight there and die a war for the elites. I mean, it's it's getting ridiculous how people don't see it. I, I really don't know. I don't know if people don't read. They don't look at history. Um, but they figure they better figure out the game quick. Like I did after Oh three, I knew, I knew after that, I was like, Oh hell no. Um, and I want to mention this really quick guys, because people forget that Joe Biden was like walking in lockstep with George Bush when it was the Iraq war. He was like the sole Democrat that was like aggressively for well, He voted for it and everything. Or Hey, this is my conspiracy thing. So this is the thing that's called the PNAC project for a new American century. And that was actually written before nine 11 happened. And basically it was just an outline of the seven biggest threats to America in the middle East. And it was like Iraq, Iran, all the countries that, and you know, one of the key authors of it was Joe Biden because it was a bipartisan mm-hmm. plan. So it's crazy to think Joe Biden, you know, now he's president. That was and that's not an accident. He, you know, I guess he appeals to both sides, but like they're, it's a cliche, you know, the left wing and the right wing, they're on the same bird. It's, it's just really obvious. And, and, uh. and I want to say this to you guys, because I was in D.C. the day that um, Joe Biden won the election. So the first thing we did was we went to Black Lives Matter Plaza because we knew that's where the celebrations were. So I, I go to Black Lives Matter Plaza. And then everyone is like popping bottles. And, I see the videos. You know, the whole, There's DJs and stuff. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. So everyone's popping bottles, and and I had a, like a little moment of like, what the hell moment. So I remember everyone's popping bottles, and I and I look in my head. I, I was thinking to myself, wait a minute, we have all these folks popping bottles and stuff. The the folks that supposedly fight for black and brown lives, they're they're celebrating a war criminal. I mean, Joe Biden by definition is a war criminal. I mean, the thing is, it's so funny, right? Like they 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 say they, they care about black and br- uh, black and brown lives, but when it comes to the Middle East, black and brown lives, I mean, they just they no. don't care about Muhammad or any of those Dude, people. No, and, and you can look at the Arab Spring. That's when they killed uh, Muammar Gaddafi, and he was in yep. Libya. And Libya actually loved Muammar Gaddafi. I mean, like obviously, like they said, he did some bad stuff, and I don't know necessarily exactly what he did. But but when if you lived in in um, Libya, you had free health care. If you got married, you got a free apartment. He actually did a lot of stuff that people liked. And one of the biggest things he did, he built a dam that brought in you know millions of gallons of water to Northern Africa to countries other than Libya. And Hillary Clinton bombed that. She bombed mm-hmm. a dam that, that provided that had nothing to do with with our war here. That provided water to hospitals, drinking water that that children needed. So anybody that would ever bomb a dam to gain power over somebody is an evil person. You don't even want these people to have water, folks. These people are so evil. They don't even want their enemies to have water. 
so I, and I look at the Moore market off. He dies. They'll take out these, these, like you said, black and brown people in other countries and they don't even bat an eye. And, and you're right. Joe Biden, his track record of, of globalization is, I mean, he's one of the biggest globalists ever. I mean, he's really destabilized America for, for who? Not and, us. And Alex, I, I hate to say it, but Americans are so dumb because mm-hmm. they fall for the whole, like, all, all these all these politicians do, like, with the same thing with, 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 with Gaddafi is they just point and say, hey, look at, look at that bad man. He's a dictator. We have to take him out. It's like, oh, so he's a bad man, but we do business with Saudi Arabia? Like, one of our biggest trading partners is, is communist China, and they literally have Uyghur, like, slaves? And then <laughs> we, we go into Libya, we take out Gaddafi. Now you can literally go to... Alex, we can go to Libya right now. We can buy slaves. Slaves, I, mean, I know. It's, that's it's, what I'm it's talking about. It's, 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 the, it's way worse than it ever was. It's the only place where slavery, you can actually go to a slave auction. Yeah. I mean, it's an insane. They think we helped it. Now you can literally buy a slave there. I mean, we're in the upside down world, Jorge. And I mean, I know we're trying our best to, to I guess, beat these people, but it's like a, it's it, okay, this is actually, I want to make a point real quick. When we talk about America are dumb, I always make this point. My audience might get mad, but they did a, a market research sh- survey, A&W Root Beer. They have a, they have sold hamburgers. They were actually a fast food restaurant before McDonald's. When McDonald's blew up in like the eighties and nineties. They did a nationwide market research survey and they asked people, they were trying to compete with McDonald's quarter pounder. They asked people what they thought was a better value, the quarter pounder burger for two ninety nine or third pounder burger for like a little bit less. And overwhelmingly Americans thought the quarter pounder was more than one. They thought one fourth was bigger than one third. We can't say, so see, <laughs> Americans, and this is, you can, this is all, this is open. You look it up, uh, the A&W, you know, third pounder versus quarter pounder. So Americans are so dumb, they can't even do a simple fraction. They don't even know uh, how to do one-third versus one-fourth. They don't even know which one's more. So you're right. We're all dumb. And I hate to admit it, I'm not that smart myself. I mean, you're you're a smart man, but I don't think you call yourself, you know, some super brainiac. But sadly, sure. we're freaking all dumb and just fall. oh, whatever. Oh, let's go kill those people because I don't <laughs> like I mean, it's eh, I, I wish we had a better uh, self-awareness, but I think our self-awareness is just uh, we have none, basically. Yeah, I, I gave up for the American people during the during the pandemic. Once I realized how easy brainwash they could be into the mass, the staying home. And then, I mean, I, I guarantee you a good portion of our population is going to be signing up um, for that fourth booster. Wait, wait, what do you mean? The mask is the best thing ever. I actually, I had to put one on for this interview. I forgot. Sorry, I don't want to get you. <laughs> yeah, sick. I lost no. life. No, yeah, I know. Well, you might want to find it because I don't want you to get sick. No, but seriously. I mean, you're right. The pandemic kind of showed our colors of how easy it is to be, you know, I, I guess just follow the follow the leader and just listen to whatever Dr. Fauci says. But our problems in America, I believe, other than the destabilization of, of the middle class, is the drug war. And I know you're mm-hmm. you're talking to the cartels. For me, I, one of my best friends is a guy named Clark Gable. I worked with him. I don't know if you know this about me. I worked for the TV show Cheaters. We catch people cheating on their husbands and wives. It's like this cheesy reality show, and I worked there forever. But the host of that show... He had bought some Vicodin, what he thought were Vicodin, and they had fentanyl on him. He took him and died basically that night. Instantly, you know, he woke up dead, as they say. You know, he never he oh. took the pills and never woke up. And over a hundred thousand drug overdose deaths happened this year. You don't even hear it on the news. So, what do you think is going to happen with the war on drugs? And and how do because we're losing the war on drugs? How do you think we fix this? You're talking to the cartels and stuff. Can they operate with immunity basically, or, or like what is your opinion of the war on drugs? Is what I want to know. You know, that's a, it's a, I don't know if I will answer it right, but I just, it's, it doesn't seem like we're ever going to win it. And, and there's a, there's a few things contributing to that. I think the, 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 the one thing I will say is the state of the economy, 
doesn't help. So anytime you don't have a good economy, an unstable economy, you're just going to have Americans fall into drugs, opioids, you know, things like that. And like I said, it really kicked off after 2008 because when we had all the families get divorced, you had the fathers on opioids. Then the kids started drinking earlier. We started then seeing the breakup of the American family. Then we, as those years went by, things in our country get more expensive, more expensive, obviously right now with the inflation, but wages don't ever go up. Um, obviously the 2020 pandemic happened. So we, we had that whole, like I said, the greatest transfer of wealth in human history. So we had more Americans fall into opioids and fentanyl than we, than we ever had. Um, so the economy plays a role. So when you don't have a good economy and people can't provide for the families, they're going to fall on drugs. The big thing from my experience. So what I can speak from, from my experience is the, the, uh, a huge issue is, is the border. And what I mean by that is I started covering the border in the beginning of 2021, when it started becoming like a top, top national story, you know, the border crisis, whatever. So when I'm down there, I'm speaking to agents. We're doing investigating that what that, what, what I found out was, so let's say I'm in like, for example, McAllen, Texas, and let's say we see 200 to 300 migrants cross, cross illegally um, under Trump. Those migrants, if they crossed illegally, they would be like running away from border patrol. Like they would not be wanting to get apprehended under Biden. They actually want to get apprehended by border patrol because they get released into the United States. We basically are rewarding them right now for crossing illegally. The problem though is Alex is that when you have 200 and 300 people crossing at one point at the same time on the U S side, it overwhelms border patrol because now you have to then apprehend these huge group of people, but then you have to interview every single one of them. You have to separate the unaccompanied minors from the, from the legit family units. It's a whole process. So when I'm down there and I'm uh, observing this and I'm talking to the agents, they have to then call in all these other agents from all these other area checkpoints to come in and do the apprehension. So when that happens, that's when the drugs started to come in. So that's what the, the agents told me that it's a tactic that, that the cartels use. So the, the cartels, they love the migrant crisis because the migrants are just being used as pawns. They just are, they're literally just being used to overwhelm border patrol. Then that's when we have all the drugs come in. Um, so one stat that we were able to pull was, was last year between last year and the year before border patrol already saw an increase of 600% in the fentanyl that, that was coming in. Um, I think last, last year, the, the Texas, the, their state troopers, just them, not even counting border patrol. They seized enough fentanyl to kill every American in the state of Texas in California. Right now, the leading cause of death for any for the for Americans aged between 18 and 45 is fentanyl. So right now, I, I don't know how we're going to cure the problem. The, the 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 issue with fentanyl is that the ingredients are coming in from China. They're coming into Mexico. They're be, they're being made in these Mexican labs, and then they're being trafficked into the United States. The huge issue also with fentanyl that it's so cheap to make that they're like, hey, if it's cheap and if it's the one of the best products, we're just going to keep freaking getting this thing out there. And if Americans want it, there's a demand for it. So. I, don't, I really don't know. Alex. So, like I said, it's it's cheaper to make. You can make it in, in anywhere, any environment. So it's not like marijuana. Where it's you a synthetic opioid. They can yep. just make it. And it's totally synthetic. See, like at least and in heroin. And, yep. Yeah. You need like poppy or something and like cocaine. And you need like coca leaves. But now they've totally done it where it's just synthetic where they can just and, create it. And I just did a story to Alex where um, and it happened actually in my hometown. Uh, his name is Jordan Erickson. He's a 22 year old kid. He was working out at a gym. Um, during a lifting competition, he pops his knee, he falls to the ground and someone at the gym comes up to Jordan and says, Hey man, take this painkiller. It takes it. It's an Oxycontin. It's going to, you know, take the pain away from your knee, takes the pill, 
24 hours later wakes up. I mean, I don't yeah. know if he woke up, but his, his parents found him dead. Yeah. So a, a thing that I've been finding from my reports is uh, there's a lot of these cases where someone thinks they're taking a, a painkiller or, or this and that, and it's end, end, end up being late. It's kind of how you, what you told my me friend, with, with your friend. Like I'm 26 years old. So I was in, I was in high school about 10 years ago. So when I was in high school, fentanyl wasn't even a thing. I mean, yeah. you can you can pop anything. You know, I was I mean, I've I I taken Vicodin, I've taken Xanax. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah. back in the day. But dude, in this day and age, man, I wouldn't take a yeah. Xanax or a pill ever now. Yeah, I was like when I was in high school, I was popping Vicodin, Xanax. Yeah, I was that, on ecstasy. Yeah, I mean, I take, now you take Molly, it has fentanyl on it. But, but, but yeah. real quick about the drug war. So you talked about the border, how they overwhelm them. And I go to Bachman Lake, and that's just uh, it's a it's just a lake in kind of a Hispanic area of Dallas. And and every day, not every day, but all the time, uh, uh, I'll see like you can just tell they're immigrants, and you can tell they're like you know. Um, they have like a backpack on and they look like they have a shirt that's kind of new from Walmart and it'll be like kind of like a short guy and he'll be with like two little kids. I'm like, what in the world? You know, you can just tell they don't really know where to go and they're, they're you know, they know they're in the, the, you know, Mexican American community. So they can probably go to a church and they can find out and figure out, figure out how to get a cell phone. So it's not right. unusual that they're in that area, but you can just tell that they're like, I, I hate to use this term right off the boat or right off the bus. And so the sex trafficking, I mean, the drug is so bad, but when I see adults with little kids, that's yeah, what these coyotes that. want. So it's like, man, we can talk about the drugs too. Like, gosh, that's killing people. But what about the sex trafficking in your experience at the border? That to me is probably the most scariest. Uh, and it's, it's a dark thing. So, you know, when I'm at the border, um, you know, we've been at spots, especially in Roma, Texas, where they're, they're actually smuggled in on these boats. And you could tell when a kid does not belong to the adult. You could also just, you could just That's tell the vibe by the way. I I yeah. I'm just saying, like, I see it. I'm like, that kid doesn't even look like, I mean, they look different, but okay. Yeah, so I, I, I see that a lot uh, in person. Um, so I want to give a, a, a stat out. And this is, this is pretty scary. So last year, Axios did a great job of this report. So basically what happens with these unaccompanied minors is they get released into the United States, either to a relative or a sponsor. And I'm saying that with quotes because the U S government doesn't do a good job of verifying this. So Axios, did a study on this and they found out that one out of three unaccompanied minors that get released into the, into the United States, the U S government loses track of meaning when the U S government does like follow-up calls and research, they lose complete track of these kids. And there was a, there was actually a moment, Alex. So think about that one out of three, even if the stat was one out of 10, that's bad. That percent so, is a lot. Let's round up. Let's say not yeah. just 33%. Let's say 34%. I mean, that the is- U.S. government can't find those kids again. There was a moment where I was in Roma, Texas. And I, I was interviewing an eight-year-old, a ten-year-old, and eleven-year-old. There were two brothers and one sister. So I'm interviewing these these kids. I said, "Hey, you know, where's your mom and dad? Oh, they're back in El Salvador. They, you know, they, they're telling me how they they basically are coming up alone with these adults." And then right there, it hit me. I said, "Wait a minute. These kids don't even know though. When they get released into the United States, one of them, whether it's the brother, whether it's one of the two brothers or the sister." They're going to get trafficked and they don't even know it. They're, they're going to get lost in the system. And and uh, we, we, I just did my first documentary, Alex, back in. Uh, we, we released it in November. It's called Cartelville, USA. And it's it's, it's about the illegal um, marijuana growing operations in California run by drug cartels. Um, according to San Bernardino County Sheriff, when we interviewed them for the documentary, they gave us footage. I mean, they find kids and teenagers working on these illegal grows. So they're being with the, the word for it is labor traffic into the United States where they, they're essentially turned into slaves, but on American soil. Um, and, and they're, they're trimming you know, under- the marijuana they're doing or whatever. Yeah. I mean, they're really yeah. slave labor. Wow. So it, it, it's, it's, it, that's another whole aspect of the border stuff. So, I mean, we got the fentanyl, we have the, the human trafficking, the national security aspect. Um, uh, you know, like I said, the national security aspect as in the point where 
when you guys are reading numbers of people apprehended, always keep in your mind that the number is going to be higher. And what do I mean by that? So last year, Border Patrol apprehended 2 million people. 2 million people got apprehended at the border. Most of them are going to get released into the United States. But guess what? That number is even higher than 2 million because it's not, it's not even counting what they call gotaways. Gotaways are the migrants that are get detected by the censors. But since Border Patrol doesn't have the units to apprehend them, they make it their way in, inside the country. The reason why it's a national security issue because the gotaways are not these nice families. The gotaways are these either drug smugglers or or migrants that have already committed crimes in the United States and they already have a past criminal history. So that's another aspect to this. So it's national security. It's human trafficking. It's it's the drugs. I mean, we're getting hit at every angle. Yet the United States, our Congress has no urgency to fix the problem i mean nothing no urgency they care about what's happening in ukraine they want they want to keep you distracted with the, all these other little little fake issues to fight about uh, but to me the border is by far the number one issue when it comes to all these other issues and i want to say this i'm pro-immigration i believe america's a melting pot it was built a country built by immigrants so i don't ever want to be like oh man i don't want you in my country i don't ever want to come right. across like that but at the same time is is the they're they're using this loophole to and and donald trump took a lot of flack is because he said a lot of people are criminals coming to the border and he's not calling all hispanic people mexican latinos criminals he's just saying that's how they do it they'll send people from afghanistan to go through the mexican border they'll send all kinds of people out whatever they call al-qaeda or whatever so you're right it's like there's so many issues now and they will not address it whatsoever it's just a gaping hole and that it's like a wound that's that's not we're not putting any antibacterial so we're not trying to put any neosporin on it we're just making the wound much worse and so in your opinion um how well i guess you don't know the answer like just how to stop it because i'm not uh, anti-immigration but like how do we fix the sex trafficking with the kids like because you can't do a dna test so do you think we should shut down the border and not let people in or well what is this is this is i know there's a confusing question but this is what i'm trying to say I think we should almost decriminalize drugs because I know that sounds crazy, but because we need to be less punitive and be more restorative justice instead of punitive justice. We need to help people that, that get on drugs. Um, so I, cause the, the method that we're doing now is not working. So in your, your opinion, like what's the opposite of what we're doing now? And I know you don't know, but what do you think would fix the border crisis? I mean, just off the bat, I mean, treating the border crisis almost like if, if it was like Ukraine and what I mean by that is where, all of our resources, whether it's National Guard, I mean, all goes down there and just starts just just literally just doing the basic thing of just protecting the border. I mean, when I'm down there, like when I was in Roma, Texas, these, these migrants are being smuggled in through rafts. The National Guard is just chilling. They're literally watching it happen. I'm like, you guys are not going to arrest these people. They're like, oh, no, we can't because of this and that. So first, it just comes off with security. I'm not anti-immigration at all. Mm -hmm. But you just we just need to start off with some type of security because then that also protects the migrants. That protects the women that are also human traffic, sex traffic, that protects the kids. So just starting off with just enforcing the law, just the very basics uh, would help out. If um, Also, for folks who don't remember, back in 2015, Bernie Sanders supported a border wall. And the, the argument that Bernie Sanders made was he says, hey, if we don't have a strong border, the people who, who who take advantage of these migrants are also, let's not forget, mega corporations, because for mega corporations, they love migrants because that means they don't ever have to rise um, wages. So and so Americans are also losing out on this on this aspect, too. So there's multiple angles um, to this. I, I believe from what I've seen and everything in 2016. When Trump ran and, and Steve Bannon did a good job of this is when Steve Bannon was was advising Trump. Bannon told Trump, he said, Trump, right now, immigration is 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 like a five or six issue. How about we make immigration the one 
either work our way from from immigration because it's, it's it plays so many roles of everything else. So let's put immigration at the one. Let's put trade at the two. And then let's start attacking it like that. And I believe that's what led Donald Trump to his victory, that he hit immigration at one because um, on immigration, you not only protect wages. So a lot of Americans already agree with that. So you're always going to win. The white um, non-college educated is always going to vote for strong borders. Well, well, people, I don't know if people know this by polling, but black men overwhelmingly support a strong border. They might not say it in person, wow. but behind closed doors, black men don't don't because they're don't nationalists. Want black men like yeah. America. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so sorry. And then what? What else? So, so what I'm saying is, is with, with that issue, it's it's an issue that Americans deeply care about. You just have to have the politician to talk about that issue and articulate that well, and tell Americans, hey, you should care about this because of this A, B, and C. For for example. You know, people who people might be like living in like, I don't know, Ohio or Pennsylvania. You might think, oh, what happens if the border doesn't affect me because it's, it's in Texas? Well, Ohio is probably the as of what I've been reading is the worst state struck in by the fentanyl. So, yeah. you know, you have all these issues that that, that that connect to it. You just need that politician to articulate it. I don't know if, if Trump is going to do that if he runs again. We'll see. But um, it seems like right now the American media and the Biden administration have done a good job of putting the border issue just they just tucked it away where you don't even we don't even think about it and right now it's all eyes on Ukraine and Putin. Is China the biggest offender at the border with the fentanyl or uh who do you think is is the which country I guess or should we point the finger at for taking advantage of our border crisis the most? Uh I mean I, I believe China with the fentanyl. I think China right now is playing the long game. They are killing they're killing us off little by little with the fentanyl. They're they're basically they're already destabilizing America without actually being in war. So for me, it's it's for sure China. No, no questions asked. And somebody in the chat said that decriminalizing theory is not the silver bullet. I'm not necessarily saying that every should all be decriminalized, but maybe some sort of drug zones, because the problem is these people take opiates and they don't have uh, you know, they don't have a um, uh, you know, EpiPen or not the EpiPen. I forget uh, what's the anti uh, the anti narcotic pen. But I'm saying they don't have access to when people do have an overdose. They're too afraid to call the cops or the ambulance because they don't want to go to jail. So I'm just saying we need to actually in like another thing in America, it's illegal to have fentanyl test strips because that's considered drug paraphernalia. So I'm not saying drugs should be legal or selling drugs should be legal, but there should be areas where maybe there could be safe spots because they already have them. They already have them in New York and this and that. And I know that's the destabilization of America and it's disgusting. But people are going to continue to use drugs. We have to figure out a way that's different than the, the system we're using so for somebody in the chat i don't think decriminalizing is a silver bullet um man jorge the cartels i want to get into that you know we, we got about 10 minutes left you know in cartelville was a big documentary that you did and uh, really and truly you talk about how they take advantage of america like when things are tough everybody leans towards drugs and alcohol and you know whatever um are these cartels, people don't realize, aren't they from all different countries, though? Like, uh, w w what is the makeup of the cartels, in your opinion? They're not they're not all just Mexican gangs, right? Uh, what are the cartels? Yeah, so, so you know, I think when people hear the word cartel, it's automatically linked to Mexican, which at the end of the day, rightfully so. Yeah. Um, but in the state of California, where I'm at, and we're, we're, we've been doing reporting, we're, gonna, we're working on our second, uh, a second documentary on this issue pretty soon. Um, so in California, for example... In 2016, Prop 64 passed. So what Prop 64 did is it legalized cannabis statewide, um, but in our state, illegal cultivation. So if you grew marijuana illegally, it used to be a felony, got knocked down to a misdemeanor. So, you know, first, and, and you know, I used to think about this too, is into, when, when the bill passed, I said, hey, this is going to be a great thing. Um, you know, I don't want people in jail for like having like a 10 sack or smoking yeah. a blunt. And then it's going to, you know, everyone's going to do it legally. California's going to see the taxes. The thing is, 
the California, the taxes were so high, he actually created this black market kind of cannabis industry, which has a lot of dark elements to it. Um, that I'll, that I'll explain in a bit, but basically we now have international cartels from Mexico. We also have the Chinese cartel organized crime. We also have the Russian organized crime and then the Hmong community, which is like a Vietnamese organized crime groups now in California. And now they're all fighting for territory and killing each other for these kind of illegal grow operations for marijuana. So what I mean by that is um, when I know when people hear about an illegal marijuana grow or whatever, people shrug their shoulders like, oh, it's not a big deal. It's just pot. It's probably just Cheech and Chong out there smoking joints listening <laughs> to Bob Marley. But the thing is, is these these criminal element groups move into communities like the one actually in my hometown. They start up these illegal grow operations and they take over. What I mean by that is they start to smuggle migrants from the border, force these migrants to work the grow. So that, that's a labor trafficking issue. Since these are illegal marijuana grows and they're setting, they're setting up in, on rural communities in California, they are stealing all the water to grow this, to grow this wheat. So in California, water, I mean, the water is a super important uh, thing for us because we're in a drought. Um, so we're seeing the water drought. We're seeing the human trafficking, even the violence. These guys are out here shooting each other, killing each other and battling for territory. So right now you might not have seen it in the news in the mainstream yet, but we're, we're working on getting those stories out. California right now is being fought by multiple international cartels, all for illegal marijuana operations. So really quick, where I'm at in LA County, we have over 500 illegal marijuana operations, mainly controlled by Mexicans and Chinese. Where we're, where we're doing our second documentary about this issue is in Northern California is a completely different other ballgame. So just between three counties, between Medicino, um, Siskiyou County, Shasta, there's about 25,000 illegal marijuana operations being fought by the Russians, the Mexicans, the Chinese, and the Hmong. Um, so we're, what we're seeing here, Alex, is we're seeing these kind of, you know, working class American citizens, most of, most of them are, are retired in these rural communities, are officially being pushed out by these drug cartels. And it's kind of been, it's like kind of this untold story that people don't know about. It's a story that if you even explain it to people, they think like, wait a minute, are you talking about Mexico? No, we're talking about California. And what's happening here is starting to affect other states. So we are now seeing the Chinese cartels move into New Mexico, start up these illegal marijuana operations. And the other state that we're seeing these illegal grows um, controlled by Chinese is now the state of Oklahoma. We're seeing the Chinese move into Oklahoma and start up these illegal grows. So we're seeing this cartel activity spread out to the United States. Wow. I mean, I, and I know that's where they decriminalize it. So it's like, gosh, maybe the idea of decriminalization really isn't good. But I know this marijuana is going all over the world because in Texas, uh, because it's totally illegal, you know, marijuana is actually pretty cheap and it's pretty abundant, but it's kind of crappy because we're getting like all the old weed in California and whatnot. But that's why I guess it, it's so important. Like you talk about, uh, you know, the Humboldt County and Mendocino and Northern California. There, there's there, there's um, people get murdered all the time and we never hear about it because these are out in the woods. They can get rid of a body. They can figure out how to dispose of it because they have so many chemicals. And these are cartels that have experiences in getting rid of bodies. So people don't realize, like you said, you made a really good point with all the other crime that comes with it. Like, oh, nobody cares about a joint, but it's all the other crime. And, and the reason right. why I bring that up, it's similar to the sex trafficking. The reason why the child sex trafficking is so big is because it's almost just as illegal to trial to traffic a child as it is to be like a pimp for an adult woman. So they might as well traffic children because they're more desirable to the to the whatever, to the Johns. So it's weird how that like one illegal thing is that and I think it's that bad creates all these other uh, illegal crimes around it, like the stolen water, and it really destabilizes that whole region. Oh, man, I mean, that cartel, how do you face it? How, and, and this is personal. How do you have the balls to go talk to those people and not be worried that they would, I mean, I know you say you're a journalist, but aren't they going to be like, who's this snitch coming here to talk to me? And I know you cover their faces and stuff. I know you're respectable, but 
How the hell do you, I? They consider me fearless for going to a city council meeting, which nobody can do anything to me. So I'm not <laughs> afraid. I mean, there's nothing to be afraid of other than publicly embarrassment, which I don't care. But I'm saying I would be nervous to go and talk to the people like you. So how do you do that, Jorge? How do you have the cojones, as they say? I'm not. Um, I'm not sure to be honest. I, like, and I'm not like this like fearless guy. Like, you can't get me to get on a roller coaster or anything. Um, <laughs> I used to but, hate roller coasters. Now I love them. But okay, for, it's funny how roller coasters. <laughs> I used to hate them. And you yeah. got to you kind of have to give them a try. But that's not a fear thing. That's kind of you know you don't like to fall down stuff really fast. That, yeah. So yeah. I I'm, I can't do that. But for me, Alex, it started it started off because when I got my internship, I was kind of um, pushed into the kind of the messiness of how dangerous things could get. What I mean by that is, as soon as I got my internship with the Daily Caller the Black Lives Matter riots started. So very early in my journalism career, I was already being put in this kind of high-risk, high-stakes situation. Um, so I covered the riots, and I was one of the few reporters, thank God, that like, did not get beat up or assaulted during the time. I mean, the majority of people did. Our good friend, Alex Elijah Schaefer, well, I, was with him in the, in, I was with him in Philadelphia when he got assaulted. Um, so that kind of prepared me. Um, I started covering the border, which obviously is extremely dangerous. I actually, I don't know if you know, Alex, but back in October, actually a human smuggler uh, threatened to shoot me at the border. We actually had a confrontation. He was armed and he was actually threatening to shoot me if I didn't give him my phone. I didn't give him my phone. I just ran to the border. Because but, you were um, taking pictures or something or he just wanted yeah. your phone. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so I've been, I don't know what it is, but I think those moments have helped me out. And then now when we started interviewing the cartel people, um, it's obviously extremely dangerous and there's moments out there that are, that you get nervous, but um, I don't know. I don't know if it's the cause. I I feel like we're, we're, what we're doing and I think it's good, especially I think for men, it's good to have this is you always want to be working on something that's like bigger than yourself because you need to have the courage to take on something bigger than, than you. And people always ask like, oh, aren't you worried about your life and stuff? It's like, yeah, but what we're doing is bigger than me. And what I mean by that is when I interview these people, man, like one of the best things about like the job that I do and I love, I, I absolutely love its prices is when you interview someone who's let's say impacted by these cartels, or if I'm interviewing like a mother who her kid is in depression because of, you know, like just mental health and like the, the school, club, anything like that. When you're done with the interview, people come up to you. They're like, Hey, Jorge, like, thank you. Like you actually listen to me and going to tell my story when like no one else would. And when you have those moments with people, um, you, you know, it gives you like that fight to like, just stay in the game and stuff. So for me, it's the motivation of telling those people stories. Cause for these people, their lives have, I've been, I mean, it's been ruined by drug cartels and the media doesn't do anything here in California to, to tell the story. Our government with Newsom, I mean, come on, I don't have to say anything about yeah. that. Um, he doesn't care. So people feel like we're like almost their last kind of hope in getting this situation out there, at least trying to shine some type of light on it. Obviously I'm not saying that my reporting is going to solve this issue, but at least get the light and awareness. So um, I think it's moments like that that keep me going. You're crushing it. And you, you do it in a way that's not virtue signaling. You're actually, you know, like I said, you know, you're, you, this is, this is like your passion. This is what you like to do. And you can tell you're, you're authentically yourself. Cause you know, some people would go do this maybe just for clout and, and, and you know, like probably I would go to the border for clout and troll, but I'm saying I'm an idiot. I'm, I'm kidding. That's a bad joke. But what I'm saying, <laughs> what I'm saying is you're bringing attention to stuff that the mainstream media will never cut, never touch with a 10 foot pole because they're scared because they can't because they're the legacy media and they cannot go against the agenda and they cannot you know make america or biden look bad they won't even you know they'll mention it but they'll never actually go and be a field reporter like you jorge so i just want to applaud you you know um i want to say for a young man you know you have such a bright future but you know that but man 
I just want to say, I want you to be safe. I want you to be you know, careful because, <laughs> you know, you're, you, you, you nailed it, though. You, you're, you're helping people out when you can tell their story because these people are marginalized and they don't have anybody they can reach out to. So, so like I said earlier, you're not virtue signaling, but what you're doing is really great. And it's really, um, it's, it's really fearless. And I really applaud that. And I really want to commend you. And, and, um, man, I just, I can't wait to see, you know, all the stuff that you write about, all the documentaries that you're going to do in the future. But sadly, I think America is just kind of going in the crapper. So, yeah. so I guess my last question is, is how do we kind of rehab America, in your opinion, Jorge? You know, Alex, I, I believe it just starts off with with everyone doing their part. Even you know, even with with, with what you're doing with, with with comedy, what I'm doing with with news. With we got a, a lot of our, our our mutual friends are like political commentators in this space. So it just takes all of us to do something and just get in the fight. And what I mean by that is. At the end of the day, like the biggest thing for me, Alex, and you might have the same motivations in the end is at the end of the day, like when I look at my kids in the future, I at least want to tell them that I was in the fight and that we just didn't kind of like sit back and was just on my couch eating McDonald's and listening to Fauci. Like I'd rather just say, hey, you know, obviously I can't. Don't make fun of McDonald's. Don't make fun of McDonald's fries. No, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, go ahead, but, but I at least want to say that we did something. So I, I take it takes, I think, just everyone doing what they can being in the fight little by little take, you know, I know things can be very discouraging and everything. There's some days I wake up and just take the black pill and think the whole world is over, but you got to just wake up one day at a time, stay in the fight. And, uh, you know, just, just little by little, man, we can't just let, we can't just give up and let people roll over us. You nailed it. And guys, we need to go out there. We need to make our mark. And Jorge, you're making your mark. You're going to leave a legacy. I mean, like sadly, even like the best guys when Kobe Bryant dies, you know, the next day, nobody, people are sad, but, I guess what I'm trying to say is life goes on. People don't worry about you. So you do need to make your mark. So you do have, you know, so you can say you can die proudly. You can say, man, I did my best. I, you know, I tried to change the world for the better and not in a virtue signaling way, just in a way that, you know, you think that can actually help. I want to help people. And I know you want to help people and you're doing a heck of a job. And so Jorge, tell them where they can find you. And I want to say the Jorge's links in the description, please guys go and click those links and please tell them I sent you. So Jorge knows that, you know, uh, you know, that he was well received, even though the chat loves you, but you guys would be doing me a favor. If you guys give Jorge a shout out and say that you saw him here and, um, you know, tell them where you can find it and tell us what you got on the horizon before you go. Yeah, the best places, guys, is on Instagram. If you just put in my first and last name, Jorge Ventura, and then just TV, I'm on Instagram. We have full, full reports there. We just did one on, on fentanyl, um, so check that out. And then Twitter is, also, is great, too. So it's Twitter's very easy. It's just my last name, Ventura, and the word report, Ventura Report. We're breaking news on there. And uh, so right now, Alex, I'm working. We're going to be soon filming our second documentary when it, um, on the relation to these drug cartels in California. We begin that filming in the second half of April. In the meantime, we're going to be working on some things um, related to border and, and some human trafficking. So stay tuned, guys. we got a bunch of stuff in the works. We just released a really great documentary, which was The Hero to Zero, which we told the stories of all the first responders who are getting fired in California. So go to hero2zero.doc.com if you want that full documentary. Or just follow me on Instagram, guys. If you click the link in my bio, we have all my documentary links. We have a bunch of great films. And uh, hope, hope to see you soon, too, Alex. Back in uh, good old Dallas, Texas. You got to come on. Say, Dude, you got to come old- Dallas slash Ukraine, Texas. <laughs> I know it's it's nuts. I mean, it's probably not as nuts as California, but it's getting there. I'm no. telling you, they're all coming here to Dallas, and it's, we're getting as we're getting as crazy as California is. 
man. And, and guys, the link is in the description. So everywhere Jorge just mentioned, you can go click that and you can go find him. Man, thank you for coming on the castle. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it, Jorge. And I want everybody to go support this man. He needs it. I want you to support him because he's independent content creators like ourselves, even though he's backed up, you know, by a, a, a media company. We're still not the legacy media. We're still fighting right. an uphill battle. So your support, guys, goes a long way. It's, it, you can, you can support the, the legacy media and, and pay the CNN, all that stuff. That's not going to do anything. Give your freaking money to my man, Jorge. Give him some support, all right? And, guys, we got some super chats. Thank you, Sarah, for the $10 super chat. Paul, Chris, uh, we got a bunch of super chats. I'm telling you all, thank you so much, uh, RX7 Cody. I really appreciate all the donations. And go do the same for Jorge. Go give him some love, guys. All right, peace. See you guys. Uh, see you. See you, Jorge. Peace out, Alex.